1: Pastor Keith Crosby of Hillside Church.
2: Like people deep in debt, unable to meet our moral obligations to a holy God, we have moral debt that we cannot pay off in terms of sin, and we just keep making more of it. We lack the spiritual capital to pay off the debt. So we need somebody who is debt-free to come in and help us, to do for us what we could not do for ourselves, and that's what Jesus did. God in the flesh... The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. I can
0: see the promised land Though there's pain within the plan There is victory in the end Your love is my battle cry The answer for all my life Every dragon will fall the mountains remove every chain of the past. You've broken into all the fear of the lies. We're singing the truth that nothing is impossible with you. Oh,
2: is impossible.
1: Hello and welcome to today's edition of the Grace to Live Radio Broadcast. With Keith Crosby, Senior Pastor of Hillside Church in San Jose, California. What an amazing blessing it is for us that you have joined us today for the program. And as always, we would encourage you to follow along with us in your Bibles if you can. On today's edition of Grace to Live, we are celebrating the most wonderful time of the year as Pastor Keith brings us a series of Christmas messages. So if you have your Bibles... Please turn with us today to the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 1. Now here's Pastor Keith with today's study.
2: Take it for granted, maybe we're used to it, but what you see here is an unbelievable set of circumstances, an unbelievable story, and in the end, unbelievable faith. So as we look back at the events of the first coming, of the first advent, as we celebrate Christmas today as a church family... I'd like to organize our thoughts around four chapters, if you will. Chapter one is the betrothal. Chapter two is the betrayal. Chapter three is the message. And chapter four is the Messiah. Chapter one, the betrothal. You look at Matthew chapter one, verse 18, and you start reading it. It's believable. no big deal. Now, the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way when his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph. Well, there's nothing unbelievable about that. It's entirely believable. Believable, that is, if things had stopped right there. The casual observer of their day would have said that this was a match made in heaven. A young man and a young woman coming together to be married. And and then there's the backstory. Joseph and Mary were both of the Davidic line heirs several places removed, to the throne of David. You can see this in the genealogy of Matthew 1. You can see it in the genealogy of Luke 3. God had promised to maintain the dynasty as part of the Davidic covenant. He had also promised that the Messiah would come through the Davidic line. And such couples as them could only hope, perhaps one day, to be the parents of the Deliverer, the Messiah King in the line of David. But little did Joseph and Mary know That's exactly who they were, although they they could not yet realize this given the circumstances they found themselves in. They were betrothed. Let's talk about betrothal. Betrothal is a concept largely lost today on Western culture. It's not like being engaged. It's like being engaged on steroids. To be betrothed was to be legally and morally married in the eyes of the Jewish people, even before the service, even before the wedding night. And betrothal, betrothal preceded a long celebration, but let me just tell you right now, Joseph and Mary were morally and legally married in the eyes of the culture, in the eyes of everybody they knew. Which brings us to chapter 2, the betrayal. Because when she was found to be with child, as we're going to read about in just a moment, Given the way things worked in those days, Joseph and likely anybody else who knew them suspected that Mary had been impure and unfaithful to Joseph with someone else. Matthew 1.18, the whole sentence. Now, the birth of Jesus took place in this way when his mother, Mary, had been betrothed to Joseph before they came together. She was found to be with child. Child. from the Holy Spirit. Who? Now, in those days, I mean, first of all, it says found to be with child. It's not like she caught a cold, right? And second of all, a virgin birth was very uncommon, if not impossible in the eyes of the people. And also, you know, we read this today, we, we read with child by the Holy Spirit, and we're like, okay, because we're 21st century Christians. But at that time, The Jewish people did not have the same understanding of the Holy Spirit that we do. In fact, when you go through the Old Testament, try to find the word Holy Spirit there. Now, we may remember it in Psalm 51, where David says, do not take your Holy Spirit from me. But for the Jewish people, the concept of the Holy Spirit, he was nearly unknown to them in the way that we knew them. And so for her to go to Joseph, well, I've conceived a child with the Holy Spirit. That would be unbelievable. I mean, if you were in his place, what would you think? And so people looking at them, they would view her pregnancy as adultery. He would be humiliated. He would look like a fool. And she would be a candidate for stoning. And, you know, if you were Joseph and you were an angry young man wanting to save face, you would only be happy to cast the first stone. But Joseph, it appears, was no ordinary young man. Now, the, she was probably 14 or 15. He might have been 17, 18, 19. Who knows? But he was no ordinary young man. Why do we say this? Look at Matthew 1.19. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling, unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. Now, you see... He's going to have to go through a divorce. So they are as good as married. He was her husband, and he was the offended party. And yet, given the unhappy news he had received prior to their wedding, most likely he was told by either one of her family members, or she came with a delegation of her family members and told him, or maybe his parents told him. Who knew? But he was humiliated. He was probably brokenhearted. His life was turned upside down. And, you know, in our entitlement society, he would have been entitled to vengeance of some kind. And no one could blame him. But what do we read instead? And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. He did not believe what she said. When she said, I'm pregnant by the Holy Spirit, he wasn't buying what she was selling. Until, until what? Well that brings us to chapter 3, the message. The message. What message? Matthew chapter 1, verses 20 through 23. But as he considered these things, you know this had to be weighing heavily on his mind and soul. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, For that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. And then we read, All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. What's going on here? Joseph... As Mary, no doubt, had done, we read about that elsewhere in Luke's gospel, received a message from God with unmistakable promises that would authenticate the message also and justify Joseph's decision to trust in God. Joseph was turning all this stuff over in his head. He has this dream. He's in a lose-lose situation. And then an angel from the Lord appears to him in a dream as he wrestled through his circumstances and says, Joseph, son of David, Do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. Now, if you were in his place, you'd wonder, is this a dream or a nightmare? This is only clouding the issue here. This is only making things more difficult. I mean, this could just be a figment of his imagination, a product of a troubled mind wrestling through. Probably in his world, what would be the greatest disappointment a man could expect? The angel's address may, though, have been significant to Joseph because he called him son of David and reminded him of his royal lineage, of who he was, despite the fact he was a carpenter and not part of a royal court living in a country under Roman occupation, despite the fact that the current king of the Jews was a Udamean, a pretender, a puppet of the Roman government. But not to be missed in the dream is the same terminology that Mary heard, the Holy Spirit, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. And so there's this test. Then finally, this test of Joseph's faith is wrapped in a promise of confirmation. Don't miss this. We often read through a passage and overlook things. He gives him something he can hang on to. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. Jesus means Yahweh saves, or Yahweh is salvation. And then you see the tagline, for he will save his people from their sins. So notice Joseph, Joseph receives this incredible message, an unbelievable message of great hope for jo- Joseph and others, that he would have the opportunity to raise a son, and by the sovereign decree, name him Yahweh saves, or Yahweh is salvation because this son is the promised Savior, the Messiah who would come and redeem his people and rescue his people from their sins. This child would be the long-awaited Messiah, and God had chosen this unlikely couple to bear his son and name him accordingly. Now, you and I have this larger picture. We're, We're looking back through the pages of Scripture, and in verse 22 and 23, we have this. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. Believable for the modern-day Christian, but hard to conceive of in Joseph's day. And this reminds us, for looking back, those of us with are looking back through the pages of Scripture, that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, God the Son, the Savior of the world, and that trusting in him, we have life in his name. But in Joseph's situation, this was all going to be a stretch. And then there's this promise. If he keeps her, if he trusts God, she will bear a son. That's a, something that he could trust in. You'll know this is for real. She'll bear a son. You know, they didn't have ultrasounds and sonograms in those days. And so this promise is something that no man could know with certainty. So Joseph would have to trust God and God's promises above his own reputation, above his own humiliation, at the risk of his sanity. And so if Joseph would take Mary to be his wife, then he would find out if his faith was justified at the birth of a son or not justified at the birth of a daughter. We see an unbelievable risk. We see incredible faith. We see an unbelievable set of circumstances. And we see an incredible man, Joseph. Joseph's faith would be tested and confirmed by Joseph's obedience in keeping Mary rather than putting her to shame or divorcing her. And Joseph's reaction to all this, well, what would you do? We see his answer. We see his reaction. We see his great faith. And verses 24 and 25. When Joseph woke from the sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son. And he called his name Jesus. Unbelievable. Yahweh, Savior. That's what he named this son. A name with a message, Yahweh saves. Joseph believed as Mary believed at great personal risk. And when Joseph woke, he did as God commanded him. They were both asked to believe. They were both asked to trust and obey. And they did just that. How similar our lives are today. We risk humiliation and embarrassment bearing the name of Christian. So just what was their hope here? And that brings us to chapter four. The Messiah, the Savior, the incarnation. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. That's Matthew 1 22 and 23. God with us. God in the flesh. Unbelievable. Just as the angel had told Mary, so it was. In the fullness of time, God would send his son. Just as the angel promised Joseph in a dream, so it was. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. These things were written that we would know that Jesus is the Christ, the son of God, and that believing in him, we would have life in his name. They trusted then and there. We read that they were righteous before God, they had great faith already, but that faith was was tested in these unbelievable circumstances. And unbelievable, they called his name Jesus. It's an incredible, incredible, incredible story, an incredible historical account. It harkens back to what uh, Jesse read earlier, the consummation of the advent, of course, In Isaiah 53, who has believed our report? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a tender shoot and like a root out of the parched ground. He had no stately form or majesty, while he was born in a manger, that we should look upon him, nor appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and forsaken of men, a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. And like one from whom men hide their face, he was despised and we did not esteem him. Surely our griefs he himself has borne, our sorrows he has carried, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten of God and afflicted. But he was pierced through for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The chastening of our peace fell upon him and by his wounds we are healed. Why? All of us like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way and the Lord has caused the iniquity of us all to fall on him. Jesus saves. Unbelievable. This baby born in the manger did not stay a baby, but grew to manhood. And at the cross, this baby from the manger saved his people from their sins. Believe it. That's the story of Christmas from beginning to end. And that's what Christmas is all about. Why was that all necessary? Why all these great miraculous events? Why? Why? God coming to earth in human form, being conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, crucified, dead, and buried. On the third day, he rose from the dead. Why? Why was all this necessary? Why Christmas? Why Jesus? Well, it's in the phrase, for he would save his people from their sins. You see, let us not forget, humanity needed rescue. So God came to earth as that rescuer, born in a manger, later crucified, later dead, later resurrected. Why? Because we all sin. We all, apart from divine intervention, are a mess. I mean, look at your own life. Look at my life, honestly. And you've heard me point this out before if you've been here. Everyone at some time has taken something that didn't quite belong to them. Maybe it was credit for an idea at work. Maybe it was some answers on a quiz maybe a few extra dollars on the expense account, maybe playing some games with the time clock, or the tax man. Maybe you bought something on a credit card that you know you can't pay off, and so God says you shall not steal, but we steal. And everyone at some point has embellished their story to make themselves look good, or maybe to make somebody else look bad, or told a little white lie. That's like a non-lethal poison, isn't it? And God says, you shall not bear false witness, but we do anyway. We have and we did. And more than likely, we will again. And everybody at some point has lashed out at somebody else with hatred, publicly or privately, had tremendously hostile thoughts toward them, maybe a little character assassination in the workplace or the classroom or the home. Even the church. And God says that hating someone makes you guilty of murder, and God says you shall not murder. But we do. But we did. That's sin. That makes you and I sinners, makes you and I thieves, liars, and murderers. And we may say to ourselves we're not as bad as we could be, but we're not pure enough for a righteous and holy God. And all of us, therefore, are are or were like people deep in debt, unable to meet our moral obligations to a holy God. We have moral debt that we cannot pay off in terms of sin, and we just keep making more of it. We lack the spiritual capital to pay off the debt. So we need somebody who is debt-free to come in and help us, to do for us what we could not do for ourselves, and that's what Jesus did. God in the flesh. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Came to Earth as a man, he perfectly kept the law. He lived a sinless life, and then he died as a sinless substitute in the place of sinners. You say, "What does that mean?" We'll stick around. We'll talk more about that in the days, and the weeks, and the months, and the years to come. But the bottom line here is, all of this happened Christmas, so that if we would humble ourselves and admit that we need help, that we need rescue, that rescue would be provided for us, free of charge. The wages of sin is death. And all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord, that baby in the manger who grew to be a man, who died in your place and mine, unbelievably. And that's why we read, who has believed our report? But he was pierced through for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities because all of us like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. So the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. For you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from his sins. That's what Christmas is all about. Start to finish. Through Jesus, we are offered the unbelievable gift of forgiveness. Unbelievably, by his kindness and mercy, Jesus saves. Believe it. The question is, has he saved you? And if he has, Merry, Merry Christmas. But if he hasn't, will you ask him to? Because you need him. He called his name Jesus. He called his name Yahweh saves. He called his name salvation. What do you call him? Savior? I hope so. And if you do, it's a whole lot different when you sing joy to the world, the Lord has come, or silent night, holy night. It's a whole lot different when you say Merry Christmas, because there truly is something merry about this gift that keeps on giving eternally. Let's pray. Father, it is unbelievable that Jesus would leave the glories of heaven and come to this earth, this compared to heaven, it had to stink this filthy planet with a sinful people, some who would spit upon him and hate him, and some who would trust him. Unbelievable. Father, we thank you for the first Christmas, and we thank you for this Christmas, and we thank you for every Christmas you allow us to live to see. Father, we are just so grateful for this great gift that truly, truly keeps on giving eternally. And so we praise your name in Jesus' name. Amen.
1: Pastor Keith Crosby on today's edition of Grace to Live. So if you'd like to drop us a note, you can email us here at keith@hillside.org. At well, we hope that you'll join us again next time for Grace to Live. But until then, I'm your host, Kevin Reeves. And on behalf of Pastor Keith and everyone here at Hillside Church, it is our prayer that the Lord will richly bless you. And thanks for listening.